Crosspoint Peachtree City family, along with anyone else who may be joining in with us this morning, whether nearby or from afar. If we haven't met yet, my name's Jamie. I'm one of the pastors of our church, the guy who gets the privilege most weeks of opening up the scriptures as we uh, gather in this place together and unpacking God's word for us. Something that we haven't been able to do now in over a month in the midst of this COVID-19 reality. This time last week, we gathered together in this scattered sense to the, the tune of a collective triumphant, He is risen indeed, arguably a once in a century moment, I think it would be safe to say, as we strangely and uniquely celebrated Easter Sunday, the miracle of the empty tomb, our God having triumphed over the darkest of dragons in this real life fairy tale, the grave unable to hold him, the devil unable to stop him, our living redeemer, our risen king. How do you follow that up? I can only tell you where the Holy Spirit has directed my gaze as it pertains to our grazing on the green grass of God's word as a collective flock. I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 13. That's where we'll be this morning. If you don't have a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, I would encourage you to go to our church's website, to go to the leadership page and to find the email address of a staff member and shoot us a message. Let us know that you don't possess a Bible and we will get a Bible two-day shipped to you so that you can have a Bible, not just for gatherings like these, but for every day so that you can learn more about who God is, what he has done, is doing, and will do for you. Let me go ahead and pray for us, and we'll jump into the scriptures together this morning. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning asking you to do a great work in our hearts, to help us to more deeply understand and embrace what it means to know you, what it means to trust you, as we lean into one of the great prayers and songs that make up the hymn book of the Old Testament. Spirit of God, we invite you to move in power. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Son, to the glory of God the Father, I pray. Amen. There's an article that came out just a few weeks ago in the Harvard Business Review. Perhaps some of you have seen it, maybe even read it. An article intended to help not only identify the discomfort that we're all feeling, but to identify it so that we might be able to somehow better manage it. I won't commend the entirety of the article to you as it falls flat in places for those of us accustomed to looking at life through a gospel-centered lens, but I do think there's something to the naming of that discomfort that we're all feeling, be it slight or severe. The title of the article is this, the dis discomfort you're feeling is grief. Most every one of us is experiencing some level of grief whether seemingly insignificant or visibly overwhelming, maybe an, an up and down sort of both and. Most every one of us is experiencing some level of grief because most every one of us is experiencing some sort of loss by way of a virus that by its very nature destroys things. There's physical loss, we understand that probably most readily as people contract the sickness of this virus for some even leading to death. There's financial loss as employees are furloughed. Some are receiving pay cuts. Some wondering if they're gonna have a job when they wake up tomorrow. Investment portfolios on the decline. 
There's relational loss, exiled to a, a digital platform for most every interpersonal experience that we have these days. There's familial loss, unable to visit loved ones and grip them tightly in your arms. There's structural loss, trying to figure out rhythms of work and rest under a stay-at-home order for many of us with kids running rampant in the midst of confined spaces. There's cultural loss, unable to sit at your favorite coffee shop, unable to go to a movie, unable to grab a table at your favorite restaurant. There's celebratory loss, the postponing of birthday parties or trying to figure out some weird way to do that online. Graduation ceremonies, long-awaited vacations. And those are just some of the present losses that we're all experiencing in the midst of this pandemic. In addition to the present losses, there are also the anticipated losses as we collectively hold our breath and prepare for what's to come with questions like, are there businesses in our very own community that won't make it? Are there those among us who won't have a job when all is said and done? Will it no longer be a friend of a friend of a friend who contracted the virus, but rather someone close to us, perhaps we ourselves even? Will summer vacations be a thing? Will there be a college football season? Will we be able to shop for groceries without a mask in the coming months? It's like the embracing for a coming hurricane, knowing that, that there will be some level of damage when all is said and done. This experience is taking some sort of toll on us, whether we feel it or not. So what I wanna remind us of this morning is very simple. It's that the Lord welcomes us into the grieving process that we might be redemptively met with his grace in and through it. Psalm 13 is what's known as a lament, a lament simply defined as a prayer in the midst of grief and loss that leads to trust. It's the prayer language of the people of God as we journey through a broken world on our way to glory. It may surprise some to learn that there are actually more lament psalms in the Bible than there are psalms of praise, making up roughly a third of the book of Psalms, a declaration that suffering and sorrow are undeniably part of the human experience. We live in a broken world filled with sin and suffering, and what that means is that none of us are exempt from experiencing something of that brokenness, grief, loneliness, sickness, betrayal, heartache. In a lament, we, we encounter the writer pouring out his heart to God, his sorrow, his anger, his fear, his confusion, his disappointment. God wants us to bring those things to him, to lay bare our sorrows, our frustrations, our questions. Not so that in the words of one commentator, we might remain forever in the cul-de-sac of sadness, but, but that our complaint might be a conduit to move us toward God's grace, leading us to deeper trust in him, leading us to deeper dependence upon him, knowing that no matter how may, uh, things may look or how we may feel in our present situation, that God's character and promises are true. In other words, you can complain to the Lord in a way that honors the Lord. You can name what's broken in this world in full disclosure while crying out to God to fix what's broken and trusting him in the midst of that brokenness. We don't have to fear bringing our frustrations to him. 
He longs for a relationship with us. And oftentimes, relationships are most beautifully forged in the furnace of affliction. In a world in which the promises of Scripture must be believed through tears. The the 17th century Scottish pastor and theologian Samuel Rutherford once said, when I'm in the cellar of affliction, I look for the Lord's choicest wines. I love that. It's in the dark places that we can name that which is broken, inviting God into our sorrow and pain. It's in the dark places that we can experience something of his comfort and care. It's in the dark places that we can put on display a relationship with the divine in all of its heartache and beauty. Psalm chapter 13 begins with these words. Verse one, how long, O Lord? Most laments include four key elements, the first of which we see here in verse one, a turning to God, which might sound incredibly basic, but I would argue it's far easier said than done. We, we live in a world filled with numbing agents, a world in which it's easy to anesthetize. State liquor sales, if you didn't know this, went up more than 200% on April 2nd compared to that same calendar day a year ago. As a reminder, April 2nd is the day Governor Kemp issued his stay-at-home order for the state of Georgia. There will be new addictions born out of this pandemic. So very easy to to turn to things other than God, whether it be to numb or, or to cope or to escape. Most of those things, not in and of themselves evil, oftentimes good things distorted, good things made God things, made ultimate things, functional saviors that we turn to to deliver us from grief and loss. To use the language from a couple weeks ago, broken cisterns, empty wells. Christian lament begins with a turning to God, choosing to run to him in the midst of grief, choosing to run to him in the midst of felt loss. David goes on to say, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Having turned to God, the the second element of lament is the bringing of our complaint to him. How long, O Lord? David's not so much looking for a timeline, unlike many of us right now, as he is declaring that he's at the end of his rope, in a place of sorrow, a place of despair, a feeling sense that God has rejected him in the midst of his dark night of the soul. Lord, I I know you're not cruel, but it feels like it today. He knows that certain things are true about the Lord, but he can't make sense of it all in the midst of present circumstance. Perhaps some of you find yourself there this very day. In turning to God, David doesn't hide his grief. He brings his complaint before the Lord, both an inner distress and an outer trouble. The inner distress of a restless mind, a heart full of sorrow, the outer trouble of a lurking enemy, one powerful enough to bring him to dust and ashes. His Lord, I, I, I know uh, that You're listening, but it doesn't feel like you are. I need to know that you're there. By the way, Jesus died 
at Mount Calvary with a lament on his lips, not unlike the lament of Psalm 13. Psalm 22, verse one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? The book of Psalms, it's filled with this how long, O Lord, language. Psalm 35, 17, how long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. Psalm 74, 10, how long, O God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? Psalm 90, verse 13, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. How long, O Lord, how long must we wonder about the health of our eldest and most immunocompromised loved ones? How long must we wonder about our job stability in the midst of a rattled economy? How long must we digitally function as the church? How long must we wear a mask in order to restock the pantry? How long must we wait to hug our friends and family again? God is not afraid of those kinds of questions. In fact, they declare his omniscience, his all-knowingness, as we acknowledge that he alone has the answers. They acknowledge his omnipotence, his all-powerfulness, as we acknowledge that he alone is able to truly fix that which is broken. To be sure, it's not an open invitation to approach the Lord in sinful, self-righteous arrogance, but rather to humbly lay bare our sorrows, frustrations, and questions. That rather than allow the difficulties of life to lead to despair, David lays out his complaint in an effort to reorient his heart. He goes on to say in verse three, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Having turned to the Lord, having brought his complaint before him, David now cries out to God for help. The third element of Christian lament, pleading with God to do something. If bringing our complaint before the Lord is the naming of that which is broken, the cry for help is a pleading with God to fix that which is broken. David pleads with God for help, which is in and of itself an act of faith, believing that God is the answer in a sea of troubles. He invites us to come to him, to confidently draw near to the throne of grace, Hebrews chapter four, that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. From a, a God, just as a reminder, who knows what tears taste like. One of my favorite quotes from Charles Spurgeon, he says this, the sympathy of Jesus is the next most precious thing to his sacrifice. The, the, the man of sorrows acquainted with grief, Isaiah 53, he reminds us that we're not alone and that God is not cruel. He invites us to cry out for help. Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Fix that which is broken. Heal the sick, save the lost, crush the virus like you crushed the serpent's head. Restore your people into fellowship with each other. And ultimately, to use David's language, light up our eyes. Light up our eyes with the beauty of your countenance. See that kind of language elsewhere in the Psalm. Psalm 
89 verse 15, blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face. Psalm 36, 9, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Help us to see and savor you, God. That's what we need most, to taste and see that you're good, our unfading treasure in the midst of grief and loss. David closes Psalm 13 with these words. He says, but I've trusted you, verse five. I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The word but is the pivotal word in any lament, declaring the fourth essential element of Christian lament, trust. The grief is real, but... The loss is felt, but it's a, it's a declaration of confidence in the steadfast love of God, despite what our circumstances may cause us to believe. Lament declares in the midst of the darkness that somehow, some way, God will faithfully work this too for good and for glory. No matter how bleak things may seem, no matter how hard things may be, the most Full-encompassing worship declares things truly are broken and Jesus truly will fix it. The declaration of trust on Good Friday and Holy Saturday that God will bring about Easter Sunday. Out of his cry for help, David moves into the assurance that God will answer and not on the basis of his speculative thoughts about God, but rather on the basis of divine revelation. The words of verse five hearken back to Exodus chapter 34, verse six. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. How does David know that God's love is steadfast? How does he know that his God is a God of salvation? The answer is that the Bible tells him so. David chooses to trust God on the basis of who God has revealed himself to be. He chooses to trust that God is who he says he is. He chooses to trust that God does what he says he will do. And notice that it's the kind of trust, verse six, that produces a song. Even before David sees any sort of resolution to the situation in which he finds himself, God hasn't left us without the proper weaponry for a life lived in the trenches of a pandemic-stricken world. He's given us a sword, and not just any sword, the kind of sword that can pierce a soul, birthing a sort of newfound hope and trust out of the ashes of grief and loss. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, filled with declarations of His character, declarations of His nature, filled with his many promises, declaring his great story of redemption. We talked about that last week. Remember the story that you're a part of, church. Soak in the beauty and wonder of the gospel. To use David's language, God has dealt bountifully with you. Look no further than the cross and empty tomb. Verses one through four of Psalm 13, you could say, became Jesus's words as the father turned his face away so that verses five and six might become our words as recipients of God's grace in Jesus Christ. 
God's covenant commitment to us sealed in blood. No matter what we may experience in this life, we Christians all know something of the mercy and steadfast love of God. And his name is Jesus. God has been unbelievably good to us in Christ, having rescued us from our greatest grief, our greatest loss, our greatest affliction. If you're not a Christian, I invite you to to respond to the, the first essential element of lament, to turn to God this morning, to put your trust in the one who lived the perfect life of sinless obedience that you and I could never live, the one who died the sinner's death that you and I deserve to die, the one who came to inaugurate the fixing of that which is broken and who will consummate that great work when he returns. Declare him your savior today. Declare him your king. And if you are a Christian, you know where this story's headed. The great happily ever after to come. But as we eagerly wait, we've been given a gift, the gift of lament. As Mark Vergop in his book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy says, what's so marvelously powerful about lament is that it goes as deep into the pain as it goes into the promise and it unites them together and that becomes the fuel for endurance. For some of us, our lament never quite reaches its destination. Our grief and sorrow, the final verses of our psalm, never quite able to leave the cul-de-sac of sorrow for the journey's end of deeper trust in God. If that's you this morning, God is calling you out of the deep pain and into the deep promise. For others of us, we have little trouble trusting our theology declarative bedrock, and yet we, we struggle to grieve that which is broken, to empathetically come alongside others in their grief and sorrow. Let's not forget that Jesus Christ trusted the Father perfectly and sinlessly, and he also wept at the tomb of Lazarus. God invites us to go deep into the pain, to grieve that which is broken, and to go deep into the promise that we might experience something more of the fuel of his sustaining grace. So turn to him, church, rather than empty wells. Humbly bring your complaint before him, laying bare your sorrows, your frustrations, your questions. Cry out to him for help, pleading with him to fix that which is broken. And finally, declare your trust in him, the kind of trust that's worthy of a song, knowing that he has dealt bountifully with you in Jesus Christ.